Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I am here with Jared, who is my husband, and this is his first time on the podcast, kind of surprisingly. He normally uh, is under the radar and just supporting from behind the scenes, but today I'm bringing him on because it's his birthday this week, and also he just got his black belt in jujitsu. As a lot of you know, I'm putting a lot of focus and attention into creating PNPA combat and supporting more female athletes as they navigate their experiences in different combat sports, but specifically jujitsu. Um, Jared is a catalyst in our entire family getting involved in jujitsu. I recently got my purple belt and our boys have been training since they were four. So Jared, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to like try to not be weird, but we'll see how this goes. So Jared, when did you start jujitsu? Uh, I started 20 years ago. There was a big break in the middle, but I started as soon as I got into college Martial arts is something I wanted to do growing up, but just didn't have the means to do it or the time. And then uh, when I got to junior college, there was a jiu-jitsu class. There was a kickboxing class. Those those were one-unit classes. And way back then, it was only like $9 a unit. So I got six months of jiu-jitsu for 9 bucks. So couldn't pass that up. <laughs> and so you started jiu-jitsu in junior college. And you would, how often would you be doing that? Was like a class twice a week or something? The class was twice a week. The instructor for that was also had his own gym and he was very open to, hey, if you need to make up classes or you want to get some extra things, you can pop into the gym, his gym for classes, too. So uh, I tried to take advantage of that when I could when I wasn't in school or wasn't working. Right. So I think that just goes to show you, like, the the culture of jujitsu is so powerful and it has been for so long with creating a lot of inclusion and support for people such a hodgepodge melting pot of people that you that you get exposed to. <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was all sorts. So the, the class that I started, it, I mean, everybody was brand new, white belts, but that was one of the good things about going to the gym also is that you got that extra exposure because um, it was definitely different classes at the college than it was at the studio. Right. So he kind of adopted you because he saw that you had some. Potential. Well, he was, he was an open invite to anybody in, mm. in the class. Um, like I said, make up classes or uh, get some extra. Um, but, yeah, he did ask if uh, specifically if I would start coming over there a little bit. He said I need to get some exposure to some higher level jujitsu, higher level belts. Um, when I told him I'm at the junior college because that's where it's cheap and easy. Um, he said we could figure out a way to make it keep going if I needed to clean mats or clean bathrooms, do whatever it, it took to 
to get that training in and have him compensated in some way. Right. Yeah, I think that's just like the power of a coach is like when you see someone who has potential, like wanting to kind of adopt them and take them in to help them discover a bit more about their potential. And I don't know. It's been it's been interesting because I can remember we've been together for a long time, but I remember you know, Jerry was always really into UFC and MMA and jujitsu, but it was something that he, again, like was never really allowed to participate in or straight up just like couldn't afford it. Just like young in college, broke, working. It just was really hard to make that happen. So that's why it's been cool to see how full circle this has become. So you trained there with him for how long? Um. Well, I was in junior college for a while, <laughs> yeah. more than two years. Um, so I took full advantage of that. Um, I'd say total total time before uh, moving on or before actually going on a break was probably two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, I'd gotten my blue belt, a couple stripes on there. From him? From him. Okay. And then, uh, then life began and moved out, moved out of my parents' house, uh, started a real job and then time and money both felt like they were not going to be conducive to jujitsu for a while. I wasn't in the same area where that school was before. Um, so it would have been starting fresh somewhere new and yeah. it just led into a, a break that I wish I didn't have, but it happened. Yeah. So there's like a, what's like the blue belt reputation? Um, <laughs> The reputation is that people quit after they get blue belt. And I think part of that is people become so invested at white belt. Um, they learn to love jujitsu. They're all, all in. Uh, and then they reach that goal that they had. And it, for some people, it feels like, hey, I made it. I'm here. Uh, I don't really need to do anymore. Or, hey, that I finally made it to that point. And now the next goal, purple belt, is so far off that this seems like a good place to, yeah. to step out. Yeah, I know that wasn't your situation, but I think it's important because there's like this ongoing joke of like quitting at Blue Belt or like Purple Belt stop showing up to warm ups or whatever. I don't know. Like there's just different like, <laughs> yeah, like stories attached to different belt levels. So that wasn't exactly your situation. But I think you are really I think one of the things that it is most special about getting your black belt at turn 38 this week is a lot of people have seasons where they stall out or, you know, like when we were, we were young, we were either engaged or just getting married and like straight up just couldn't afford it. Like we were like, we can't justify either the schedule or the probably back then, like a hundred bucks a month or something like that um, to go. And it just felt like we can't, we can't do that. Cannot pull it off. And maybe in hindsight, that wasn't true, but it felt very true at that point in time. But jujitsu, that foundation you had as white belt and, you know, dabbling at blue belt for a bit, that gave you a pretty solid baseline for then entering the police academy and becoming a police officer at, what, 20? 23. 23. Yeah. It was uh, a, definitely a good foundation to have, and it's something that I've encouraged all of my police partners ever to do is right. to get that foundation in there, more than what they give you at the academy because it's not not nearly enough. Um, and fortunately with the departments that I've been a part of, they did have a culture where their defensive tactics units or arresting control units had a strong jujitsu presence. Um, they would do extra training off duty where you 
coming to work. So even though I took all this time off, there was always somebody to roll with, train with. I mean, we put mass in our backyard and had I had some of my partners come over and it was just getting that exposure in those reps, even though we didn't have anybody actually teaching us, we were always doing something towards it. Right. And I know this is kind of a sub part of that, but do you think every police officer should do jujitsu? They all should have at least a foundation. Um, the amount of confidence it gives you, the level of control it gives you over a suspect, but also the control over your own emotions and <clears throat> control over yourself being in a bad situation. Uh, I mean, jujitsu is full of being in bad situations. And usually the person who is more calm, um, more collected and able to work through that stressful situation in jujitsu will win. And that just it's a direct correlation to the things that occur on the streets, the things that happen in the police force. Right. A way to keep like everyone safer is to have that as your first I guess, line of defense before Mm -hmm. escalating it. Yeah, there was something, um, one of my last professors who was also a a former police officer, he always said, the moment you put your hands on somebody, not not like use force like that, but as soon as you grab somebody's wrist or grab somebody by the arm, they should know right away from those grips that you developed through jujitsu and just the control that you have that you're not the person to mess with. And a lot can be said from that first that first touch, mm-hmm. and that a lot of that got developed through jujitsu. Right. I think. I mean, to me, it just makes it's like common sense. Like I feel like every police officer, knowing the multiple stories that you and situations you've been in, um, it seems like an absolute no brainer. But I think for just self defense in general, like that was one of the reasons I began with like, I just want to feel like I can protect myself in a bad situation and, and protect my babies because you are not always around. Right. And frankly, especially when, I mean, there's just so many situations of traveling alone or whatever. And just knowing what you know, when you've been married to a police officer for so long is like, you have to be able to protect yourself because mm-hmm they might not always be around to protect you. And even still, like we have a huge responsibility to to understand that. And I think that's hard because a lot of people want to rely on other people to protect you. And that's just not the reality. And I think that has been instilled in me for 20 years <laughs> with, with being around Jared is no one's coming to save you. And if they are, it might not be soon enough. So you got to be able to hold your own for as long as you can. Yeah, um, I tell people all the time, especially with jiu-jitsu. So I try to tell people at the police department that they need to do it, but also outside the police department mm-hmm. is, hey, the cops might be there. If they have a good response time, they might be there in five to ten minutes when seconds matter. Um, yeah. Minutes are a long time. So developing some of those skills to be your own first responder, be prepared to take actions in multiple situations right and then that like mental emotional side of being able to be not maybe comfortable but like you can be comfortable in really uncomfortable situations where you know like you know what to tactically do but also how to like regulate your own emotions when you know like when I go against bigger guys like Jared's a lot bigger than me and if he is you know controlling me on top I want to at least be able to make sure I can protect myself and 
scoot out of that situation or sweep or get up. Like I always said, I want to be able to take somebody down, get somebody off of me and like hurt them if I have to. (laughs) And that's a great baseline to have though. Yeah. Just being able to manage, manage some distance, manage any damage that you may take. Obviously in the streets, it's not jujitsu. People are going to be punching and doing other things. You want to, mitigate as much of that as possible and then also be able to create those escape opportunities so that you can create the distance to to get away get some help get somebody else uh, just not be in that situation or place anymore right which is i mean it's again it's scary to think about but it's basic fundamentals that you can learn pretty early on that can really make a big difference in protecting yourself or protecting someone that you love you know and with our our boys have been doing it since they were four years old and one thing I love, especially like Kate is like a very strong spirited child. And I think most of you know that um, from following along through all these years, but it helped reinforce his own self-control and reactions um, and then channel it, his energy and his spirit really well. So I think it works both with uh, trying to just like leverage his intensity and his um it's just got a lot of intensity as a spirited kid. So we got to like direct it really well and then teach a culture of respect, teach a culture of um, control, self-control and impulsiveness. And I think that the culture of jujitsu has really helped reinforce that for both of our boys, um, especially Kate. And then them just knowing, you know, how to protect themselves at school or protect their friends. And we've had situations come up even recently where, and we talked to Cade, like, it is your responsibility. Like, you are more skilled than most people your age. You're far more skilled than most people your age. You have to be able to use that responsibly and use it to protect those that cannot protect themselves enough. And that's just something that, like, you know, maybe us as parents were a little bit more intense than <laughs> the average. But I, I just want to make sure that it's something that they are they are raised knowing that that is they have that skill set, they have that physical and mental understanding, and they can be able to use that really well. Yeah, definitely. It's controlling those emotions also is knowing that he does the same thing when he's in class. If he gets a little too aggro and (laughs) it's going a little too hard, that it can quickly work against him. Mm -hmm. So it's got to keep those emotions in check um, and direct that energy in the right places. But That's a lesson we all freaking have to learn. Like my athlete brain and frustrations get, it's so hard to keep that in check, even with a high level of like self-awareness. That is so hard. But I imagine learning that at a young age is going to give them such a freaking advantage. Absolutely. And also why, again, like you're trying to talk about like anyone in law enforcement or any any kind of first responder, or even like, you know, like nurses, people that are having to have a lot of like, contact right like there's a lot of contact with other humans in unpredictable environments like being able to like manage yourself manage your own reactions and your own emotions um it's huge and these are things that are not common sense and that are not necessarily taught in most environments yeah i think it's it's great for nurses emts the same where you're in those situations i mean small confined environments or you're in the back of an ambulance where you don't have any place to go and you know when you wake somebody up with some Narcan, it could be, oh, the fight's on and you don't have a lot of place to work. There's all sorts of things around you that you need to be aware of. Uh, and you can't just jump on anybody. You have to have control. Right. So I think it's it's beneficial in those situations. 
Absolutely. So let's circle this back a little bit more to jujitsu. So obviously it's helped you in your career in law enforcement. It you've, It's been with you in your life all throughout your 20s and now into your 30s. What was what made you start up again? So you took a little bit of a break at Blue Belt. We were young. We were broke. We were figuring out our careers and getting getting trying to, trying to get our feet under us. So what made you start up jujitsu and when was that? Um, something that was, had always been there on the back burner, like I said, training with partners and friends um, was kind of a constant. Um, but wanting to get into some structure, um, I had gotten on to the defensive tactics unit at my department. Uh, instructing uh, and a lot of that had to do obviously I had some skills being a blue belt more than just the average person but still uh, had room for improvement in that sense and a couple guys that I worked with were going to a gym that they really liked that was pretty much full of first responders um, and they had kids that were going also uh, Kate was four and a half at that age, which um, I felt like was a good time for him to start, which I don't think is necessarily the right age for everyone to start because for kids, jujitsu can start off a little boring if you don't have the right coaching because it's it's not like some of the other things where it's like, yeah, punch the bag, do all these things. It's more process-oriented. You do have to think like, hey, you're going to grab here, and next you're going to reach over and do this, and you have to follow some steps. But um, knowing Cade and knowing his personality and how he just tackled anything in every sport, um, I felt that he was ready, and I wasn't going to let him start without me also going to share that that journey with. So we got restarted right when Cade was four and a half, so just about six years ago. And just had chance too. And we were like chance and I on the sideline and you and you and Kate out there on the mat, like you'd help coach him. And that's just crazy to think back that you were a blue belt at that time. Cause it's like, doesn't seem that long ago, but then like in jujitsu years, it feels like a really long time ago. Yeah. The other thing with Kate is that that school we were going to, there was only one kid's class. So she was the youngest and it went all the way up till, uh, 13 years yeah, old like by far he was so little out there <laughs> but it gave him some good good experience and um he had some good there was definitely good kids in there who um controlled what they were doing going with such a small yeah. kid yeah but he is so freaking feisty out there i was actually because i'm working on this presentation i was going through like a lot of pictures and videos from way back then and just like watching his movement and I don't know, just like trying to like remember what it was like back then. And yeah, he just, he just, I just can't believe that he was that little and doing it in that kind of class environment, but he did awesome. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, I think as a, like my coach brain is like, oh, there's like certain sports that are really good. And I think we all know like gymnastics, that's really good, like body awareness, body control, um, and, and stuff like that. But I think that jujitsu is one of the best sports you could ever put your kid in by far and and honestly i'd say that i said that before i started doing jujitsu it it became so abundantly clear watching kate at four years old like really understand his body and movement within the side of like self-defense and the side of like learning respect and control and um 
interacting with people like that. You're, you're literally fighting them, but you're, but it's not malicious. It's really like teaching you so much body awareness, coordination and things that are really fundamental that translate over into all sports, like all sports. And I think it's just, yeah, by far the best sport you could put your kid in. Yeah. I agree. Right. Don't you think like, and it just complements other sports mm-hmm. so much. This kid started football this year and there are things that definitely I saw that could have had bad consequences with falling and things like that, but learning how to fall, learning yeah. how to move and control his body a little bit actually saved him in some of those situations from some more serious injuries. Right. Cause it's like, you gotta be like jujitsu is just, it covers like every kind of facet of like fitness and like strength machine. It's really dynamic. It's really explosive, but then you have to have like, to be strong but then you also have to be coordinated and it's like there's so many aspects of it that create a really well-rounded athlete and like beyond self-defense that's what I started to see was wow like this is an opportunity to like really expand your athleticism and there's no age limit to that you know there's no age limit to improving how you move and learning a new skill set and something that is as versatile as jiu-jitsu absolutely and then, like, a chance took to it a little differently. Like, he was he was really wanting to do it. Like, he was on the sidelines watching from the moment he was a baby until he was four. He started when we moved here to Idaho. And, like, he was so nervous that first day. He just cried. He wouldn't even get on the mat, even though, again, he'd, like, been wanting to do this for so long. And it wasn't until, like, the last 15 minutes of class that he got on the mat. And because, like, Cade was like, I'll just stay with you. Like, I will roll around with you. As if, like, they don't freaking fight all the time at home. Um, but it was awesome to be able to see them get out there. And now he, he gets out there and he has fun. Like he's just a much more like lighthearted spirit than Cade. Um, but he does a great job and he can turn up his intensity. And again, it's been awesome to see his body awareness and movement patterns. And it's translating over into the other sports that they both play. Um, just obviously different levels and like, yeah, like just different levels. And yeah, well, chance, chances. I mean, basically watched it since birth, watching Kate, yeah. watching me. Um, and then he also had some opportunities before we moved here because uh, during the COVID years, the kids' yeah. classes stopped and Kate was doing a class through the computer where the professor was teaching through the, the computer and the kids were doing it, doing the movements there, whether they had a partner, a pillow, um, sometimes yeah. it would be me. And because Chance was able to watch that, he was able to to get some of the reps out of that, too, and just kind of uh, play around with it a little bit. Yeah, it's been so fun seeing their development, how they roll around together. I mean, it got it. would I think it would drive most people, like, it'd make most people very anxious. But for us, like, they just, they're so durable, and they know how to get out of stuff, and they know how to fall. And, you know, little boys fight each other anyway, and this just gives it a little bit more, like, safety attached to it, even though you'd think it would it would be the opposite. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely processes instead of just wild, all out, wailing, fill your body at each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still a little bit of that. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun to see that and then like have it become a whole family sport because I bet you didn't think that was going to happen. No, that's something we talked about for a really long time. Um, even before I started doing jujitsu again, when we were just dating, I was, showing you things, trying to show you moves and even 
things that would help with water polo with just simple grip breaking of the mm-hmm. wrists. Like, hey, somebody's holding your wrist underwater while you're playing water polo. Here's here's some things you can do. <clears throat> Not dirty, just getting your hands free and getting back. Um, and so translated to that too. Uh, yeah. But it's something that I've I've wanted for all of us for a long time, and it's pretty awesome that it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Like most things, I just had to be ready for it. It didn't matter what anybody else wanted. I just had my own process, my own timeline. And you should should also add that when she agreed to start, oh yeah, she said, "Hey, I will start jujitsu, but I will not go with you." Yeah, because she knew that the school I was going to was, like I said, a bunch of first responders, a bunch of pretty much everybody was big, big rough, and tough. Yeah. And um, I think you needed a little bit more of the the family environment, the the coaching that was going to help your experience along, and then also the training partners that could match match with you just a little bit. Yeah, like I so yeah, he was at one gym. I joined uh, Gracie Baja in Thousand Oaks, and um, and it was good because I I wanted to create my own identity like I didn't want to be treated like oh like that's like Jared's wife or Kate's mom and only have that so then I have like this extra identity attached to me I just wanted to go and like be Brie and learn and just be like an annoying white belt which like that was my biggest barrier to starting is and god how I freaking circulated on this for so long but like I hated the idea of being this annoying like inconvenience where people had to like they got partnered up with this newbie white belt mom and I just like I hated feeling like I was like interrupting their experience because now they had to be partnered with me and I hated feeling like that kind of inconvenience in class and despite knowing better in my whole in my heart and despite Jared telling me like it just it has to be something that you just go through yourself and then you realize that like part of the evolution of your own jujitsu experience and growth and journey is helping and nurturing those that are under you that it is their day one it is their week one they have zero athletic experience like there's growth in being able to coach and interact and move around with people that are in a way different like I don't know ability or whatever than you and when you look at it that way, like that, that is part of everybody's process is you're expected to be able to help those newbie people. Like that helps a lot. And no one ever made me feel bad. Like that's the other thing too. Like everyone was so kind and supportive. They assured me that like, I wasn't annoying or whatever. (laughs) Um, But that was like my own ego, just feeling like I don't want to, like, I want to learn, but I don't want to be like this buzzkill girl. Well, it's two parts because it's good for the higher belts. You know, you can do these things, but do you know what you're actually doing? Can you explain it? Can you break it down yeah. to the most basics? It it helps with their understanding of the movements and why certain things work. And then, um, like Professor Mark used to always tell us, um, it with the training partners, it's I train, you train. Is The more that I help you develop, the better you get which helps me in return in the future because the better you get, the better my training partners are. So Mm -hmm. there's a big, I train, you train, and then it all comes together. Uh, Some of my best training partners that I have now are people that are like 
white belts, blue belts, that they're learning so much and I can see the progression. So it's like, okay, now I need to go to the next level, take to the next level. Like it's just little steps and it's been a good thing as a, a higher belt helping those guys and watching them come along, but then also realizing that, hey, these are my training partners for for life or for yeah. a really long time <laughs> at least. So yeah. it's gonna benefit everybody in the end. Right. And I think that's like jujitsu is so beautiful for so many reasons. And I know like I've totally drank the Kool-Aid on this, but I don't care. Like it's just it's such a process oriented sport. Like big, like not just like process of learning these steps, which is so intricate, which is another reason I, I started was I loved the cognitive benefits of that. That's not how my brain works. I think more big picture and feeling and less thinking. Um, that's been really helpful, but just like the process of going from a beginner and then all the different people you get to learn from along the way, like so many people, every single interaction you have every single day. Every single role, every single time you're partnered up with somebody different, like you are learning something either about yourself or about them or about jujitsu. Sometimes things stick. Sometimes most things just like take forever to learn and be reinforced. But you're just constantly going against a hodgepodge of people to learn from. And it's never like you're matched up with someone super comparable to you. Like that rarely happens for Jared because he's a much higher belt than most people. Rarely happens for me because there's still not that many like women or women my size or age or whatever it might be. So you, in one class, you could be partnered up with somebody who's like is uh, 40 something year old brown belt or you're partnered up with a 16 year old white belt and all in the same class. You're partnered up with like just such a hodgepodge of humans and backgrounds and it just makes such an incredible culture and process of learning that I just don't think that we get in any other capacity. And it makes you have a process for doing the same movement with those different people is that you have mm-hmm. to do things a little bit different or even just the energy, the energy transfer between mm-hmm. a 40 year old and a 16 year old when you're going against them is what you have to control. Um, that's why I think a lot of that translates over to law enforcement, mm-hmm. translates over to self-defense in the street is um, you got to have some control, but you also need to know what level you're taking things to right. based on that energy and the actual situation. Right. You know, like control intensity or match intensity and like feeling that out on different people of all different skill levels, all different ages or sizes. Um, that's been so interesting for me to learn. And I know um, for you, too, is being exposed to using this using jujitsu in a controlled environment and in a much less controlled environment do you think jujitsu has saved your life there's definitely been some <laughs> some hairy situations that i've been in that um just having that control um and even more than the control is just having that awareness of myself or where my body's at what what's going on uh, managing stress um, managing a situation under stress because of some of the control and the confidence that came from jujitsu and martial arts in general. Yeah. And then from a more like, like intimate side, jujitsu has been with you through a lot. Like you've grown up as an adult with jujitsu, maybe sometimes more of a higher volume or intensity than other seasons. I think most people who do jujitsu rarely have a perfect 
like nonstop linear process from white belt to black belt. There's going to be interruptions of life happening, affordability, injuries. Um, what I talk about with pregnancy and postpartum, like seasons of setbacks, like there are expected seasons of setbacks, but this has been something that's been with you fairly actively for 20 years. Yeah, it, it's uh, <clears throat> just like I've told the kids with all their sports seasons. Um, there's a baseball season, there's a football season, there's all these things that they go in and out of, but just is kind of that constant you can always come back to. Um, it's going to be around at any age. So having those setbacks that we've had, it's like, hey, the gyms are still there. We can still go back to it. Um, and through different setbacks, it's sometimes it's been the thing that's either been the motivation to do better or to make things work. Like, hey, we can make this work. We can afford to go to this gym. We're going to make this a priority. Um, that is what was missing when we moved in with each other and then felt like we couldn't afford it. It was just not the priority at the time, but it was still there. And we made sure it was something we would definitely get back to. And it always welcomes you back. I think a lot of people are afraid of going back. And that's so much, so much of that is attached to ego of like, well, I'm not as good as I used to be, or I'm not as young as I used to be, or I've forgotten things. Or now this person who I used to like whoop on all the time is like way ahead of me. Like there's a lot of, these narratives that circulate, what do you have to say about them? Um, well, it's not about the other person. Yes, there's people that I started with that got their black belt 10 years ago <laughs> because I had that big hiatus. Um, but it's it's not about that. It's, it's your own journey. Um, stepping back into the gym after a 10-year break, I mean, I had the conversation with the instructor there. I was like, hey, 10 years ago, I got this blue belt. Like, I'm perfectly fine whatever you want to do. If you want me to put a white belt back on and start, if, if not, like you tell me what you do. And they were hopefully like, no, you earned that once upon a time. And we'll, we'll just have our own feeling out process. You know, the gym I was at didn't have any set timeline on promotions. It was dedication and skill. And there was a lot of factors to it. So going to a new gym, doing it again, when we moved here, it's kind of that feeling out process. Like, um, because the promotions and everything like that is very subjective to the individual instructor or professor at your gym. But they look at everything and they take it with a grain of salt. They make their own assessments. It was uh, the first time going back as a blue belt. That was tough. Doing it the second time, I had just gotten my brown belt weeks before moving here. That wasn't as hard, but it was also that feeling I can't walk in a new gym. There weren't a lot of higher level belts there other than people were either just about to get their black belt and then a bunch of blue belts. And so I felt like walking in like that, it's uh <laughs> you almost put a target on you. People want to vet you out, um, see if it's true, if it's really a brown belt, if <laughs> so just in Again, that was a good thing because then you you get to feel fill people out, you get to match intensities, but you also get to um, come in. I mean, they don't have expectations other than hey, you're a brown belt. Let's let's see what's happening, but they don't know anything about you. So yeah, it's got to come in and like. 
be humble and it is so intimidating. I had just got my blue belt when we moved here and I was like, cool, a blue belt girl walking in. I feel like that's also a different kind of target. And, um, but you just got to like keep your head down and just do what you can. And I don't know, I didn't feel it was really intimidating. And even in the most welcoming and inclusive cultures, it's still, it's still a hard thing. You're, it is such a high energy exchange with people. It is so intimate um, that it's hard to not have a lot of different like feelings and stories that get attached to it or not have like your ego um, take over. And that's what I love about it is it, it constantly humbles you, but then you get like little hits of dopamine when like you do learn something, when you do like, get a good submission or you survive around or like you, you know, get the move of the day or whatever it might be. You get like these little like dopamine hits that keep you coming back. Um, the ratio isn't always fair. Yeah. <laughs> ratio is certainly not always fair, but um, it's been such a, such a good sport for, for both of us. What would you say your favorite belt was? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I did compete a lot as a white belt and that, Having gone through going through the the program kind of on my own at the junior college and all that, I signed up for competitions on my own uh, with no expectations, no team, no coaches going with me. Um, you went with me to a few of those, driving out to Vegas. I was kind of a jerk because I was cutting weight back then and driving four hours. I can't believe you're a white belt though. Like that's like again my like my memory of cutting weight that in a sweatsuit like on the drive to to Vegas was not never fun, but. Um, coming back, uh, starting up again as a blue belt, it also felt good because I had this, I had been training for so long, um, even not in the gym that I felt real comfortable and confident there. But then after that, it's each level you get that imposter syndrome again. It's like, okay, I got this purple belt. I don't know if this is right. I don't know. This is how it should Did be. Did you see my Instagram story today? Is that why you're saying that? <laughs> it's, a, it's always, it's always a thing. Yeah. Um, but again, it's the, the instructors and professors kind of having that confidence to you saying, Hey, no, we've mm -hmm. been around. We know we've seen a lot of people. And if I'm giving you this belt, you deserve this belt and yeah. you may question it all you want, but here it is. That was blue and purple were fun at the gym I was at. And then um, brown it was another big transition because, uh, like I said, I got it um, at my old gym in California and then moved shortly after. So it almost felt like, uh, like I, didn't, I actually didn't know what to feel with it. Like I felt really grateful that I got it, but I was also really worried coming into a new gym, having this brand new belt on. Um, yeah. And it felt like I had a lot to prove initially. Um, being a new brown belt in a new gym with people who had no idea that, that whether I, how I got it, how I deserved it, right. or why. Yeah. And we were really, I just feel like we got so lucky with the school we came to and how we were embraced by the different professors, uh, Professor Ray, Professor Phil, um, and then just like our our group of people that just really welcomed us and our whole family in there and you know it was our own it was our own like toxic beliefs of like are we actually like are these belts right or how are you having just having to show up and feel it out that's one of the best parts about jujitsu is just the community that you build and 
how it brings people from so many different places mm-hmm. where <laughs> the cop can walk in and be standing next to the stoner or the, the yeah. whatever, the mom, the whatever, yeah. the business person. The, yeah, it is a melting pot of everybody together and in, in that place you're all you're just the same. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, and then how you take you learn actually more life experiences that way too. It's not just learning jujitsu. You're like, okay. Like, right, because so many people only exist and socialize in like an echo chamber of like friends that they've had for 20 years or the co-workers that they have or, you know, they're the people that their kids interact with. And like what I love about jujitsu is you're, you're literally interacting with a wide span of humans, ages, like just everything, like backgrounds. Yeah, like such a melting pot. And it, it keeps you young and it keeps you versatile in a lot of ways yeah that's great most of the time you don't know any of those things about anybody <laughs> until right. a while like you'll be rolling with somebody for a while and you have no idea who they are what their background is <clears throat> maybe not even how old they are right. and then you find those things out and you're like okay this changes my perspective on yeah i get like wait you're a mom I'm like <laughs> yes <laughs> those are my annoying kids over there <laughs> those ones belong to me or yeah you're jared's Oh, like, yeah, it's just, it's so funny. And it is definitely one of the things I love about it. Um, And I'm going to segue into this. I think, you know, we, we talk about jujitsu being something you can always come back to. Like, you know, our kids, they may not do jujitsu every single day for the rest of their life or whatever, like consistently, other sports will come up, other life experiences will come up, but it'll always be waiting for you. It will always be there. But, you know, one of the things I love about doing jiu-jitsu being older is for most of us, our sport experiences ended either at 18 or like 22. Like that's when high school seasons of sports wrapped up, youth sports wrapped up or college sports wrapped up. And you think that like your time maybe being an athlete or having that kind of like coaching and nurturing, being the student, being the athlete, like those seasons, not just feel like they come to an end, but they do come to an end for so many of us. You know, like I thought it was over at 22. You thought it was over at around the same age, Mm -hmm. you know, with you you played like football, basketball, all things. And jujitsu is one of those things where it always keeps you in the seat of being the student and not even just an athlete, like truly a student where you are being coached, where you're being held to a standard, where you're being your progress is actually being measured. Your progress is being rewarded. That does not exist in most situations and in most sports, especially for adults, even if you do triathlons, even if you do CrossFit, like that, those are all kind of like you get better and like, but it's like, you're on your own accord. Like, Oh, I hit a PR like, cool. Like I put in the work and you get this. Yes. But there's something different about jujitsu with the belts, with the stripes, with the, with the interactions, with how we learn. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? I know that's so rambly, but you're used (laughs) to that shit. (laughs) No, it's just, uh, it takes in like, not everybody promotes for the same reasons. Um, some people are competitors and they're out there and they're training every day and, doing that to compete and then other people are doing it to just stay learning just keeping yeah. the student like you said or the the uh 
person promoting the blue belt, it could be two different people for complete two different reasons. One is your time and commitment. Hey, you may not be the best white belt, but you deserve it because of that time and energy. While there's others that are um, competing all the time and trying to get to that next level. It's all subjective. It's something that you can, you're always, there's always somebody better than you, but there's always something that you can learn uh, and then something that you can give to somebody else. Um, I've learned things from white belts and blue belts that have a different perspective on a certain move that have influenced uh, the way I do things. So that's always nice and it, it helps you stay adaptable. And that applies to everything else in life too, mm-hmm. as you can take things from different people and different walks of life and it can be applied in a different situation to make things successful. Um, I talked about this in my speech when I got my, my black belt. Um, I was watching Cade when he started and watching him then go through the online thing and then actually getting back into the gym and just watching the way he, not even him trying to teach me anything, but just watching, watching how he learned, watching how he moved and the way he, he thought about th- stringing things together. It changed a lot of my jujitsu, made me think about different things. It even changed the way that I taught at the police department because oh, a four-year-old, five-year-old can learn these things. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you just got out of the police academy. You should be able to to apply some of these principles and these these lessons. Um, and jujitsu is just it's fun for all ages. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's for everyone? It is. It is for everyone. Um, you get to the right gym, you get with the right group of people and people will work with you, whatever you have going on. Um, one of the things I don't like when people say is like, Hey, I'm going to try to get in shape to then go do jiu-jitsu. It's not the same thing. Um, I could have been doing all these other, I did an Ironman, did these other triathlons and stuff, but then getting on the mat and starting to roll around, it's a different bank. So yeah. Instead of waiting to uh, get to where you think you need to be to start, it's more important to just start because it really is for everyone. It adapts to different body types, different lengths, sizes, heights, weights, um, because not every move works for everybody, but there is something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, it's just the, the the fundamental of being able to protect yourself. And just having that like higher level of body awareness and way of thinking that is not taught in other sports, that is not necessarily innate for most of us, um, that is different than like, say, karate or other maybe like martial arts that people grew up doing. This is truly transferable from an athletic standpoint to all different sports and from a like could truly save your life if you're a first responder or if you are a mom with her babies and you want to be, you got to be able to throw down and protect yourself when those situations come. And I think a lot of us don't like to think about that. And the reality is we've been married to Jared. He spent 15 years in law enforcement. There's, there's shit that happens in good places in bad places and unpredictable places and safe places. There's just stuff that happens. And so giving yourself your best shot, like I'm not going to assume that I, you know, would be totally fine, but I want to know that I have, like, I will give it my everything. I have my best shot at being able to do whatever I can to protect myself and my family. And that is a level of confidence 
that I think could be so empowering for women specifically to experience is knowing like, I will have my best shot. I will give it my best shot. I've done every single thing I can to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm able to do that. And I think that's empowering for all people, all backgrounds of all experiences, have that kind of self-awareness, body control, and just confidence. It's a different level of confidence that jujitsu gives you as a human. I, get, I agree. <laughs> word. <laughs> word. Yeah. Yes, right. Um, your black belt speech, that was intense, Jer. That's good. Yeah. You wanted me to prepare something, but um, I just couldn't do it. I had bullet points in my head and the people people in my head that I wanted to think, but it was uh, just from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising. Jared's a lot more introverted than I am. He's definitely not used to doing things like, like this, like this <laughs> <laughs> or standing in front of a lot of people. Um, so it does, it does take a bit for him to do that. But um, it was just, it was a speech where he just really kind of went through the process of acknowledging that it is a overall journey and the people that have been, inspiring to him and it's gotten him through some really dark seasons of life and one thing I really like that you said was um like when you were in a really bad place you wanted to be at jiu-jitsu and when you were in a really like when you were happy and you were in a good place you wanted to be at jiu-jitsu can you talk about that yeah so uh, what I basically said was uh yeah when I wasn't feeling great was having a bad time was really stressed out that jiu-jitsu is the place where I'd go to get that that frustration out, that energy out, um, kind of focus, kind of like hitting a punching bag or doing something else, but in a, in a constructive way. Um, and then when I was in a good mood, that's where I wanted to be. And um, because I really enjoy jujitsu, so why would I not want to do the, the things that I enjoy? Um, but when it came down to it, I realized um, jujitsu itself was not the sole reason for for wanting to be there when I'm upset or wanting to be there when I'm happy. It was the community that, that jujitsu has built the, um, the, the friends and family that I had in California, the gyms there, um, that made sure that I was okay in those hard times. And whether it was through a hard roll or that conversation on the side of the mat or whatever it is. And that translated over here, moving to Idaho. Um, it's just kind of the culture of the gyms. It's very much, um, this is two completely different gyms, but the culture of that family and the I train, you train, and we all take care of each other on and off the mats has been a, a huge, huge part of it. And it, besides the physical aspect of jujitsu, that's what I've gotten the most out of being at these, these gyms. Yeah, I agree. That was like the first thing we did even before moving here was like I stalked the different gyms in the area and I just knew like, I don't know, the vibes felt right. And I was like, this is where we're going to go. This seems like they have a good kids program. It seems like, you know, it's an established gym. And that I knew that, that like moving out here, we hardly knew anyone. And we just needed that fresh start. We needed to find community. Um, and I knew that finding it through something that was fitness oriented, family oriented would be really positive for every single person in our family. And it has been, it's created a lot of good friendships and, um, versatile friendships opened up a lot of different opportunities. 
changed our like minds and hearts with the sport and just with getting immersed in a new community. So it's been like really positive for us. Yeah. All right. Last question. I think when people get their black belt, sometimes they cry. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. So can you tell me why? Like, what is it about that moment? Since this is very fresh for you. <laughs> I didn't that, cry. I got a little choked up, but it was, uh, it, it you me. are not, first of all. So Jared like never gets choked up. He didn't cry at our wedding or the birth of our children, but that black belt choked him up. And so <laughs> I want, I want to hear like, what is it? And I, I get it. Like I, I cry over that shit too. So, I mean, I can imagine what it is, but I want to hear from you. It's, that moment. it's just, um, I think you said it in one of your posts recently, like as adults, we don't get, um, recognition or, or trophies anymore. Yeah. You can do jujitsu competition and get something or whatever, but it's not, it's not the same. And at a competition, you get a gold medal. You feel really good because you did something that day. Um, with the black belt, it's, it, it's kind of like encompasses this whole journey, like the 10 years of jujitsu or the 20 years since I started it. So I go, Okay, like this is something I've wanted since before I started jujitsu. So more than 20 years and not that it's over, but it's finally here and accomplished is it's kind of an overwhelming feeling. And then talking about those things that I just talked about, about talking about the community and how that all played a factor in it. It, it just got me kind of choked up in the moment. And it's uh, like I said, I. I had some of those points thought out in my head and I didn't think any of those were going to get me choked up or anything like that. Um, so it, it surprised me, but it was, I mean, a sense of accomplishment that I probably haven't felt in maybe ever. It's a big deal. I think it's being seen at a really like, just at a really powerful level because it is physical. It is mental. It is emotional. It is, social it's like all these different aspects of like being seen and recognized and your hard work validated your progress validated your just your overall journey like validated and recognized and honored and celebrated in front of so many people like it was just really special and we don't get that as adults that dies for most of us somewhere around 18 or 22 and so to have the opportunity to experience that almost like a reward system that is that does require like work and dedication and commitment like that's really powerful and to be seen as an adult and coached and have somebody like give a shit about you and not just like from your professors like your gym gives a shit about you in different ways than say like the CrossFit communities we've been part of or triathlon or like other fitness communities. It's just, it's a little, it's just a little bit different and it's hard to describe it completely, but it's been, it's been a pretty cool process. And our family is like, we are just all in who would have thought. Yeah. I do feel fortunate that I had a heads up for Paris speech and you can do <laughs> yeah. that because if this was one of those surprise promotion <laughs> things, I don't know how those emotions would have played out. <laughs> you would have cried more or just been like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it would have probably even more overwhelming. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I want to wrap this with a, <laughs> so Jared spent 15 years in law enforcement and he lateraled out here when we moved. 
and has recently retired from law enforcement to pursue um, some entrepreneurship. We've been on a fun ride together with what my business has created and just that kind of like entrepreneurial lifestyle. And um, God, law enforcement has given you so much. It's given him so much. He was very successful in so many different ways and throughout his career. Um, and now he's kind of pivoting in a way where he can do work and life and share and teach on his own terms. So you want to share about what is being launched in 2024 for you? Yeah. So I've been working on a new business called uh, JB Defense Solutions. Uh, basically, it entails uh, getting families prepared for worst case scenarios, doing assessments of their homes to figure out ways that they can be more hardened, target hardened. What does that mean? That they're less susceptible to break-ins, um, to any other catastrophes. So basically doing an assessment of the home, um, seeing what kind of improvements or upgrades they can do that will help with the prevention of those things or will help them in the event that something does happen. And then also making some emergency plans for if there's an intruder or a fire or some other natural disaster. I'm also going to cover some of the more advanced first aid um, that I think every family should be prepared to use, like tourniquets and chest seals. Um, and included with that would be what will work for your family, um, what you should have to be prepared in the home, what you should have with you in the car. Um, we'll go over even weapon considerations for home defense. We'll do some hands-on self-defense and then talk about a big just general situational awareness, what you should be looking for when you're getting home in your neighborhood, what you should be looking for when you're out with your family at a restaurant or the movies, um, just the state of affairs of the world. I think it's uh, it's time to be prepared. And like I said much earlier in this podcast, you, you need to be prepared to be your own first responder, um, whether it's somebody breaking in or you are the you witnessed or you're involved in a traffic collision, any of those things are super real possibilities. And if you're not prepared, um, or even just like aware, like, I think that's the thing is like the awareness is so key. And I think that that's kind of what sparked so much of this is like, I've started to realize like, well, I know these things, but I'm realizing that like people don't know this. And I only know it because like through osmosis, right? Like you telling me about a call you went on or a situation or frankly, just the differences in the, the departments and cities that you've worked in. You worked in a very like rough city in California, I guess. I don't know how else to describe that, but just like very busy. I'd describe it as a fun city. Fun city. <laughs> For uh, a, cop. a lot of different <laughs> gang activity and things like that in that city where maybe call call times, response times were different. I don't know. It just, I guess, would depend um, on the situation. And then he's also worked in like a very safe city here or so safe, so to speak. Um, here but what i think most people don't take into consideration is whether you're in a city where there's a lot of action or a city where there's not as much action it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have that help fast because if you're in a safe city maybe they don't have a lot of people on patrol and it's going to be really hard for jerry to get from one side of the city to the other because there's only a couple people on patrol at two o'clock in the morning when you need them and that what became really eye-opening to me um, was like just different considerations for different cities. It's like, well, this might be safe, but then that might look different um, than what 
a busier or more high volume kind of city looks like where maybe there is a lot of people on on duty, but they can't get to you because they're on a bunch of different calls or calls that are going to require more time. So I think that's just like the reality that a lot of people don't talk about or don't know. Um, thinking you live somewhere safe or knowing that you live somewhere that's maybe not as safe. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Just be prepared to to handle emergencies yourself, at least for the most part, especially I'm not just going down the home intruder thing, but uh, a bleed or something that's bad. I mean, seconds matter. So having the mindset that you are the person that's going to be doing the medical treatment on yourself or your family member, right. your child, your neighbor first, will give them the time, will give you the time for those uh, first responders, police, fire, EMTs to actually show up. Yeah. But the, the initial onset, it, it's up to you. Yeah. We don't know how to respond. Like it's so easy to just go into like anxiety and like spiral and like freeze instead of like fight or only fight and then not know how to like think through it. Um, so I think just like basic levels of awareness is going to be really helpful to families and then making it specific to the family. Um, if you have teenagers versus if you have a baby versus like kids that we are, you know, like our little ones, like our, our kids age, like that came up in our own family, just going through this business right. plan, talking with them and seeing what they actually know. Like you said, you learn some of this stuff through osmosis. The kids have been exposed to some of these things, but been talking about, hey, there's a fire in our house. Where are you going? What is your plan? It's like, okay, we actually need to have this conversation. It needs to be a conversation that's had with with your family, especially little ones. Our our bedrooms in the complete opposite place of our kids' bedrooms, so mm-hmm. we have different things that we need to accomplish immediately. Yeah. So whether it's home and family, or situational, car, even business, um, just having a really well-rounded idea of like what you can put in place to be really proactive against things happening um, that again, none of this is taught to us or things that you can do in response. And I think that the, you know, with Jared's background in defensive tactics, being a black belt, um, he's was on SWAT and had plenty of other assignments, very busy cities, um, really safe cities. He had a really awesome career in law enforcement and I'm excited to see how this can like practically translate into things that are going to be really helpful for a lot of different families and help him you know, kick off this business. So Thank you. it's going to be fun. <laughs> it, will, it will be fun. Um, Jer, thank you uh, for coming on this podcast and for sharing your black belt wisdom. Thank I think you. that it, uh, <laughs> it comes with time. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of time, I guess. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing. And if you guys have questions or, you know, you want a, more insight on any of this, whether it's jujitsu or, uh, some of the things that he's talked about with defensive solutions and stuff like that. Um, I think, I think he'd be willing to have those conversations and get yep. us going. The new Instagram started. <laughs> oh, that JB underscore defense solutions. So oh, right. not a whole lot there yet. Yeah, time to get a post up, Jerry. <laughs> it's, it's all coming. There's a lot of information to be shared. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. 
The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.